The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, the Washington, D.C. legislative update from Tony Stevens. Welcome to ACB Reports for May 2017. Sixth Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind is just around the corner. The conference dates are Friday, June 30th through Friday, July 7th. The location is the Nugget Casino Resort in Reno, Nevada. Pre-registration for the ACB Conference and Convention opens on May 24th. Room rates at the Nugget are $89 per night for singles or doubles. There is an additional $10 per night charge per person for up to four people per room. Applicable state and local taxes are currently 13.4%. When you make your reservation, one night's stay will be charged to your credit card immediately. To make reservations via telephone, call 1-800-648-1177. That's 1-800-648-1177. Ask for group code GACB17. That's group code GACB17. You may also make reservations online from the ACB website, www.acb.org. Make your conference and convention hotel reservations today so you won't miss a minute of the fun. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Once again, ACB Reports is pleased to visit with Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Tony, I think it's safe to say there's never a dull moment in Washington, D.C. It's been exciting the past month at ACB from a legislative stance. We were fortunate in April to have the reintroduction of H.R. 2050, the Medicare Demonstration on Coverage of Low Vision Devices Act of 2017. It's a long mouthful, but essentially it's, a, it's part of a larger initiative that we've been working on at ACB, focusing on uh, trying to find ways to sustain independence for older age adults experiencing vision loss. Uh, the bill itself uh, is a reintroduction of a legislation that was in the last Congress uh, introduced again by Carolyn Maloney. She's a congresswoman from New York City. And it was co-sponsored by Steve Cohen of Tennessee and Gus Bilirakis of Florida, Republican uh, Florida, who uh, himself is also low vision and has been a strong champion for issues pertaining to blindness and low vision in Congress. But the bill will create a demonstration or experiment that will measure the cost and benefits around some Medicare coverage of special devices for people with low vision. Uh, folks might not know, but uh, in 2008, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, what's known as CMS here in Washington, had put forward changes in the regulations that no longer allowed for coverage of anything with a lens. They're using what was called an eyeglasses exclusion 
And so any of the low-vision devices that would be considered durable medical goods were no longer covered under Medicare. And this was a big issue for folks because, you know, we know that the majority of people who are, uh, you know, experiencing vision loss or, you know, we, when we think of blindness, it's not just someone that sees total darkness, but the reality is that most people are in sort of a spectrum of losing their sight. And particularly for older age adults, uh, you know, they're in that, you know, later stages of life if it's macular degeneration or glaucoma or diabetic retinopathy. Uh, you know, oftentimes they have uh, some partial sight left. Uh, and we're trying to find out ways to get devices into their hands to help sustain their independence at home. So when Medicare no longer covered these devices, we were, we were deeply concerned that folks would no longer be able to afford a lot of the independent living devices that, that you know, can run a couple hundred dollars. And when you're someone on Social Security, uh, as folks with Medicare are on, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of expendable income. So, you know, our hope is that what we've asked Congress to do is try to pass a bill that will allow for a demonstration, which is an experiment to test the cost and benefits. How much is it going to cost if a uh, licensed eye physician, an optometrist, and an ophthalmologist would prescribe someone, you know, some of these independent living aids that uses lens, if it's a CCTV or, uh, you know, certain types of high-powered magnification things for the home? Uh, you know, what's going to be the benefit in that? Uh, our belief is pretty strong that the more we can take steps in the home to make people's lives more independent, but even outside the home too, uh, you know, what can we do to keep them aging in place, as they say, is kind of a popular term here in Washington that, to keep folks from having to go into institutions. Uh, so, you know, our, our thought is it's a small investment with a large return on investment uh, in the long end if they're able to live longer in their home and be more independent. So that bill was introduced, and we're working now actively in encouraging state affiliates to reach out to their members of Congress to get them to co-sponsor it. It's, it's not a big bill. It's a very small piece of legislation. It's, uh, you know, our hope is that it could be attached to some of the spending packages. Oftentimes Congress will say, okay, we'll fund certain things, and in, in funding it, they also try to find ways to save money down the road, and we believe this is one of those ways. Uh, that they could save money in the long run and just trying to sustain independence for older age adults. And so that was reintroduced, as you said, uh, during the month of April, so you don't really have a timeline right now. We're ramping up advocacy now. Um, you know, Congress is focused on a number of things around the budget. Uh, we, we just got a continuing resolution for the, the rest of the year to cover spending for this year, uh, but they'll be focusing their attentions now on tax reform, uh, we believe going into the summer, and later in the year, they'll tackle some more spending packages for 2018, which is when we hope this could maybe be brought up in that conversation. We're actively working now in trying to find a sponsor in the Senate. We've been focusing on the, the Senate Select Committee on Aging as hopefully an avenue, because we think this is, this is part of the larger conversation, as I said, about aging in place and what steps can we do to try to find alternatives and ways to save money in the long run by trying to help people be able to stay in their homes and age, uh, you know, with, with reasonable independence and comfort in their in their daily living. Age gracefully, as they say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or uh, so, part of aging gracefully, anyway. It is, and it's part of a larger initiative that ACB's been, been actively involved with, along with the American Foundation for the Blind. They've been really leading the way with their aging and vision loss in the 21st century, what they're calling AVA 21. And this particular issue about how can we find ways to find low vision devices and sustain independence in the home through assisted living type things like that is part of multiple core 
areas that, that AVA 21 is looking at. The older individuals with blindness is another area that they're focused on, and we're also equally concerned with that issue, which is OIB, as it's called, receives money from the federal government. Each state does. And if you're over 55, you're able to get services if you're you know, a person who's legally blind or losing their sight through local VR programs. This is very important for us, we believe, now, because the focus has gone strictly on VR being used to just get people jobs, whereas before it used to be used in other ways for folks to get services and things that they're going to be staying at home. Uh, there's less and less of that now. And there's also less and less money available for OIB, which is a growing concern. So, you know, the AVA 21 initiative, the AFB and ACB, we're working with other groups on AER, the Association for Education and Rehabilitation for the Blind and Visually Impaired, is another group that's actively involved. You know, we're all collectively trying to find our ways to better meet the needs of, of older age adults. The census is telling us that in 2020, just when you look at the numbers, we're going to start getting a big spike in the incidence of vision loss in our country. And groups like Prevent Blindness America, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are, are very much engaged in, in watching this trend. Uh, they say by 2030, our number of Americans with vision loss, which right now is 21 million in the country, could double. And, you know, there's currently about 80 million Americans at risk of going blind right now with diabetes and glaucoma and heart disease, the conditions that hit hard in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. There's going to be a huge increase in, in the number of Americans suffering severe vision loss in the next couple of decades. And we need to find smart ways to meet older age adults and get them the services if vocational rehabilitation and the traditional ways of providing services aren't available. So, you know, this bill is just one part of a larger puzzle that we're trying to wrap our heads around over the next couple of decades of how are we going to reinvent ourselves, I guess, to make sure that folks in that population are not being ignored, but they're getting the services and supports they need. Now, we're recording this on May the 2nd, and the continuing resolution to keep things going was just passed, what, yesterday? Or maybe over the weekend, but... Uh... It was. They put an extension in to push us. There, there was a deadline on the end of last week where we would have gone on the shutdown, and they put a one-week extension in or hammering out. Uh, they finally came to a compromise on the budget that gets us through the rest of the year, and it actually wasn't that bad. The uh, ACL, uh, the Administration for Community Living, which is under HHS that funds like Centers for Independent Living. They actually had a plus up of like a million, a little over a million dollars additional. You know, everyone was concerned about massive budget cuts after seeing the president's budget. But the continuing resolution, you know, funded and even added a little bit more padding in certain areas going into the end of 2017 fiscal year, which is September 30th. So we were, we were glad to see that, that the sweat is no longer hanging on our brows as it was last week. Well, you answered most of my question was going to be how that resolution impacted programs that ACB watches. I know one near and dear to my heart uh, because of my job, uh, Corporation for Public Broadcasting uh, basically got a two-year extension on its life. It was one of the targets along with some other things that got uh, basically renewed for two years, I think. so, And that may have been separate from the continuing resolution. But... Uh, were there programs uh, that, I guess you just answered that, though, were there programs that uh, can at least breathe for a, a little while longer? There are, and I mean, you know, it was, a, in a sense, a continuing resolution basically says we'll fund what we funded last year. There were no major ups. I think they adjusted just in a sense for inflation in certain areas. They gave some extensions, but there definitely was a, you know, the phones have been ringing off the hook at Congress Never before, really, in my experience of 25 years of doing 
grassroots advocacy on a wide range of issues. I've, I've experienced so much engagement from stakeholders and citizens. You know, they're not just voting at the polls, but folks are actively being involved and expressing their concerns to the people they elected, which is, which from my vantage is great news. Uh, you know, there was a lot of concern around the budget that was cutting meals on wheels, which is going back to seniors and older adults. Uh, there was a hearing last week in the Senate Committee on Aging about how do we reduce morbidity and other diseases for older age adults because of the depression and solitude. And programs like Meals on Wheels are a huge thing for folks in the lower end of the economic spectrum and for older adults. And, you know, they extended that and actually plus that. When we say plus, it means they added some money to that as well. And that came by a large part of just people speaking up and, and calling in and saying, look, these are programs we think are valuable. Um, we're continuing to advocate for other programs we're concerned about, like National Library Services. There was a proposal that would have cut uh, the Institute for uh, Museum and Library Services, which funds some of the talking book programs around the country, talking book centers. So we're continuing as well to try to find those, those programs that are small, like Meals on Wheels that aren't a lot of money, but still a big value in people's lives. Uh, and encouraging folks to reach out to the members of Congress and tell them things like National Library Services and Talking Books and uh, the educational grants through the Department of Education that fund like Bookshare and other things. You know, these are equally programs that we need to find ways to communicate and say these are important programs for us and we hope everyone will call their member of Congress and let them know how important these smaller programs that aren't always on the front burner of, of the news cycle, but they're still important for people who are blind and just you know, connecting them to the outside world and, and being a major part of their life and helping them feel more independent. Contacting your congressman is easy to do, and it's something that we all should take the time to do on not just issues related to blindness, but on other issues that we feel are important to us and to the country. Memorial Day is coming up at the end of the month. Is there a recess around Memorial Day? Of course, you can talk to your congressman's office at any time, but is there a time during May around Memorial Day when everybody goes home. Yeah, they will be, Congress will be going on break that Memorial Day through that week. And I think they'll be coming back on, none to do my math before, on the 5th maybe, they'll be back in June 5th. But if folks are involved with their local chapters and state affiliates, I mean, reach out to the staff, reach out to the members of Congress, ask them to come out to maybe your meeting, you know, around that time and engage. It's an excellent opportunity they're so much more accessible when they're at home. It's the local town halls and things like that. You know, you, people come to Washington and they feel like all they meet is staff, which is important. And sometimes you'll you'll get a, maybe a, a handshake with the member of Congress. But you know, when they're home, they're home. And I constantly tell people the greatest commodity in democracy are votes. So people are are in that sense part of that commodity. And so it's important for folks to know that they have a way to get in touch with their member of Congress just by giving them a call. You mentioned town hall meetings. We've seen some rather stormy ones depicted on the news and so forth. Is it reasonable to say if you go into one of these meetings and approach quietly, you may get noticed more than if you jump up and down and scream and holler? I always I always like the, the line I use a lot that another advocate coined, it wasn't myself, that you know, Dr. King always said, I have a dream, I don't have a complaint. Taking the high road and being positive and respectful, I think, is the smart way to go about engaging folks and, and building good relationships with your local congressional staff and your members of Congress, uh, you know, your elected officials in any capacity, if it's a school board person, you know. Um, screaming does get attention, but you can get tired of the noise after a while. And definitely the engagement at town halls has been good in some extent where 
folks are, are you know, getting involved as citizens and, and expressing their First Amendment. But, you know, I think, too, it's, it's just as important in the, in the relationship-building side, uh, you know, for everyone to be civil and not to get angry and irate and jump around and scream, but, you know, to talk about it in a rational way about just how something really impacts you uh, from the heart, not from the, the vocal cords sometimes where you're yelling out. I've heard some rumblings about legislation that could seriously impact the Americans with Disabilities Act. What is that? There is currently a bill, it's H.R. 620, and it's the Educational, the ADA, uh, I think it's the Educational Reform and Notifications Act of 2017. This is a bill that we're actively following and, and engaging on and have been helping out with some meetings in Congress. The bill as it stands now does a couple things instructs the Department of Justice to do more outreach in educating folks as to the, what the ADA is about. Um, this, we believe, is, is not the best way to use money because there's already ADA technical centers around the country that are funded that do just that. Um, maybe we could find better ways for those centers to do what they're supposed to be doing and have Department of Justice focus more on its enforcement and compliance side. The other area that, that's a little bit more concerning and has raised a lot of eyes and ears in, in the disability community, rightly so, has been around a provision in the bill that would basically require you to notify people before you can bring them to court for an ADA architectural barrier. Uh, so essentially the wheelchair ramps, the stairs, elevators, um, but, but it gets involved too, like let's say braille signage. It all stems from you know what they're calling ambulance chaser attorneys, a handful of attorneys around the country, and in some states there's more only because states like California, you can also get damages awarded to you through state law. Whereas, you know, ADA, you can't usually get money from suing. You can just remedy the situation. But in some states, you can recoup your lawyer fees and get damages and things like that for, you know, stress and anguish and mental, you know, anguish over inaccessibility issues. But it would require you to notify the place, I think, uh, and then have 120 days for them to fix it before you could then file suit. So it significantly puts the brakes and makes it pretty legalese speaking have to jump through a bunch of hoops that might be difficult for folks that don't have the ability to gain legal representation or things like that uh, you know I think a lot of ways folks will probably let violations go by the wayside uh, you know it's more in like the small little strip malls and things like that where the the issues arise and so that's been the organization that's actually been lobbying for the bill the association that represents the smaller strip malls around the country. But we're watching it because it's a concern, uh, you know, in that it significantly makes it harder to try to bring a suit up. And when we talk about civil rights, it kind of puts the civil rights of people with disabilities on a different playing field. It says, well, yeah, you have civil rights, but we're going to put the brakes on your rights, and you're not going to be able to exercise them like any other group that's protected class in our country. So... Uh, you know, that's supposed to go through the Judiciary Committee maybe sometime in May. We're actively lobbying, along with other disability communities, to really basically say, look, this is these lawyers are a few bad apples, and it's in the states like California where it's the state laws. It's not the ADA. Uh, we need to protect the ADA and make sure that it's not tampered with, because there's been steps a little bit further even. In Oklahoma, there was some legislation where it was tied to web accessibility, which is an area that we are very much actively involved with with technology and web access, that's where the blindness kind of gets involved more, you know, with technology is, is our sort of spot where we've been 
actively fighting for equality and equal access online and through certain various types of technology, mobile communications, and et cetera. And so our fear would be that this architectural barrier that would significantly impact folks in like wheelchairs would also cross over into the world that deals with technology and web and things like that. So that's something that we're also actively watching and trying to frame against uh, any moves toward that. And that's something that we will keep an eye on. And uh, as you say, it's sort of backlash legislation probably is the best way to describe it. It is. And like there was a 60 Minutes piece that, that Anderson Cooper did late November, I think it was, on you know these sort of trial lawyers and really painted a bad picture to make it look like anybody out there suing on ADA is just out to make a buck, which, you know, I mean, I think when you look at a lot of the successes we've had through structured negotiations or through legal engagement, not just not just suing somebody, but I mean, ACB's been so successful in other ways of, of using sort of legal arrangements to make progress and accessibility. It's concerning to think that a few bad apples can paint such a bad egg that everyone wants to throw it away. It's definitely not a dull moment right now in Washington. There's a lot going on. So, you know, again, encourage people to reach out to the members of Congress, ask them to sponsor, you know, the H.R. 2050, the Medicare demonstration bill that we talked about earlier, and then concerns over the H.R. 620 we're continuing to watch, and we'll probably be engaging, if that starts taking legs in the Judiciary Committee, you know, we'll probably be engaging folks on that issue as well. And then just later in the year on issues, you know, the larger issues we talked about, about aging and things like that, are probably in the horizon. It's going to be an interesting time going into our national convention in Reno. We're looking forward to, you know, engaging folks in a wide range of of policy issues and advocacy issues and getting folks updated and up to speed so we can leave convention this summer, you know, in a sense rejuvenated to come back and hit the ground running going into August recess with Congress to, to... make sure that what we're fighting for is uh, is on the front line, staying there and brought to everyone's attention. I'm sure, as usual, at the convention, you will have a, a legislative session. I am bringing my legislative sessions to the main floor. Um, and, you know, historically where we would have a, a breakout session that cost a few bucks, I like the idea of engaging everyone collectively as a whole body and making sure everyone's kind of up to speed. And then I'm obviously available. I'll be speaking at different sessions throughout in, in different events and things like that. And I'm available at any point during the convention if, if folks need to get together and discuss further issues or things like that. That was Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. You can listen to ACB Reports, the ACB Braille Forum, and the eForum by phone. Just dial 605-475-8154. That's 605-475-8154. Want to enjoy ACB radio but have no computer? It's all there for you by phone. Call 605-475-8130. That's 605-475-8130. The long-distance charges and minute usage of your calling plan will apply. As we wrap up ACB reports for May 2017, Once again, a reminder that the 56th Annual Conference and Convention of ACB is just around the corner. The dates are Friday, June 30th through Friday, July 7th at the Nugget Casino Resort in Reno, Nevada. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum Cassette Edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. 
ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.